It's time, ladies and gentlemen, for another extraordinary adventure. This time, we enter the strange world, Disney's mysterious, long-lost 61st film. Many a great podcast has tried to enter these lands and talk about the film, but they all failed, mo mostly because it was out of theaters in like two weeks. But only one podcast has the gumption, the ingenuity, and the bravery to traverse these treacherous lands and find the answers that lie in the strange world. Disney Desk, Disney Desk, they are podcast detectives. Disney Desk, Disney Desk, here to give hot takes and such. Okay, so I was really on board with this up until the singing, I'll be honest. You hate the sing. you just hate the singing. I do hate the singing. <laughs> But up until that point, I was thinking, wow, I kind of wish all of our intros sounded just like this. I mean, that's the funny thing. I thought of it just because of the intro to this movie, but it does kind of work if our whole pitch is we're like journal, like old timey yeah. journalists. Exactly. Which is like, exactly how we think of ourselves. Yeah. Like the whole pit, like the name Disney desk. Like yeah. I've had to explain this to people. It's like, sounds journalistic. Oh, it's like a journalism desk. Yeah. Like, oh, you're on the sports desk or you're on exactly. the politics desk. Yeah. Like, that was the whole, what, well, I also like alliteration. But, yeah. We were just looking for words that started with D, but, but it works. That's what we do. Yeah. I, I, we went through a couple different ones, but yeah, yeah <laughs> it's what we do. We're, we're crusading, adventuring journalists. Exactly. Welcome to the Disney Desk, everyone. Carter here. Sydney here. This is a continuation of our 12 Days of Podmas. And for today's yes. episode, we're here to review a new film. Yes. Um, we are here to review a film that is both old and new. Um, that is both old and new. That is both interesting and perplexing. And we've got more questions than answers folks <laughs> yes uh we are talking about walt disney's latest animated film strange world which was released in films uh theaters on november 23rd and has only just come to disney plus but if you ask 99 percent of people they would have assumed this is the first time you could watch the movie if you ask 99 percent of people does say what because they've never heard yes. of it what is a strange world yeah, what do you, what is that you talk about? Is that a is that a song by Drake? And we'll say uh probably. But we're actually but talking about <laughs> also a movie. Yes. Um did you know, dear viewers, listeners, whoever you are, that this existed because if I wasn't like diligently watching if if I didn't have a reason to pay attention to Disney news, I may not know that this even existed. I am genuinely trying to think of how many times they've referenced it leading up to its final marketing push. I and can count on I, one hand the number of ads yes. I naturally came across. Yes, and I know this is, like, the main talking point with this movie. It's like, oh, oh, everyone's bringing up the marketing. But, like, no, no, this is kind of the whole thing. That's the point. Disney pushes its films, like... It's like they are curling in the Olympics. Like, so the fact that they did not push this film, like, that's suspicious to me. Especially yes. considering this film has an A-list cast. Right. Well, that was what... I think one of our first big thoughts coming out of... Well, first, let me just say, 
the only time I really saw them talk about it was when they were doing that Disney, like, uh, Disney 23 live stream presentation that we reference a lot. The oh, one where yeah. they announced turning Red and Luca. They're like, oh, and our next animated film is going to be Strange World, a sort of pulp action adventure movie. And yeah, our first thought coming out of the movie, because they do the credits and they do like the... They do, like, a title card credit sequence where they show right. all the actors. Yeah. And, like, I knew Jake Gyllenhaal was in this, but I did not know Lucy Liu was in this. Gabrielle Union? Like, Dennis, Dennis Quaid isn't in things anymore. What is right. he doing here? He only does, like, hotel advertisements or whatever. Right? Like, again, it's, you know, it, you're right. Disney, when it's time to push an animated film, they push that thing. Mm-hmm. Like, one of my favorite little historical reference points to come back to is how over the top they went for a lot of the 90s films. Right. Like, for Hercules, they had a parade through Times Square. Like, oh. they had just bought the they just bought the one Broadway theater that now hosts Lion King, so they were just having week in advance screenings. They had mm. a concert on, like, the Hudson Pier. Like, they go hard for their movies. And when the first trailer for this maybe came out, like, a month before it came out, and then it just kind of quietly came and went right and it really does feel like it's kind of the nexus point for like oh this is why chepik got the boot because mm. his whole let's put all of our eggs in streaming basket a lot of my friends just thought this was coming to streaming hell on disney plus its entire theatrical run the first like banner you would see on disney plus is strange world in a way that makes it look like if you click you'll be able to watch the movie but instead you're gonna watch the movie yeah just in little text it says in theaters now coming to streaming soon like, mm. it, it's, I, I don't know when we started getting on this, like, uh, sort of s- streaming is killing the industry bent, yeah. but the more you talk about it, the more I sort of begin to spiral where I'm like, how is anyone making any money from this? Right. How is this industry staying afloat? Like, I, I, I was like, I was watching Matilda the other day, I'm having a panic attack where I'm like, Sony, why did you put this straight to Netflix? Right. Like, it is a fairly popular musical based on one of the most beloved children's books and, like, 90s nostalgia movies. Like, and all of it comes... And I feel like a lot of it, at least for Disney, is fortunately coming to a head with this movie, which, unfortunately, by the time you're hearing this, uh, is projected to lose somewhere around $150 million for the studio. Oh, is that off? Okay. Yes. Uh, it is their... I think it is their biggest financial bomb ever, which is saying a lot because Treasure Planet exists. And right. Treasure Planet was so financially terrible, it killed hand-drawn animation basically yeah. forever. Um, Disney, just after Treasure Planet bombed, they basically just pulled the plug on everything that was an Emperor's New like Emperor's right. new Groove, Home on the Range, Lilo and Stitch, because it's like, no, those those are already basically done. We right. can't. Like, it would be stupid. It's too late to turn around now. Yeah. But... Where do you even begin? I mean... Yeah. Let's just... You know, all of this aside, because we could truly rant about this forever. The synopsis the here... The of it. The, 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 yeah, the thesis here is that it is genuinely confusing that they seem to not want anyone to see this movie. That's, like, the only conclusion I could come to. It's, like, they either don't want people to see it or they certainly... Like, they're just not concerned if anyone sees this movie. And after having seen it, I don't understand why. Right. We had this similar discussion with Coco, where we were like, yeah. why aren't we seeing any advertisements? What is wrong with this movie? And that was bewildering, because that was a masterpiece. Because I love I just feel Coco. Like, and maybe they're just like, there's not that much we can show from this movie that wouldn't spoil the whole plot. But 
this is a movie that really needs advertising, and it's not bad. It's a solid movie. See, but this is like, you know, I would compare this directly to Coco in the sense of its aesthetic appeal. And I feel like right. Disney is underestimating how much people will follow something that looks pretty. Yeah. That's the I mean, appeal that's of Coco. A- like, that's what right. has people drawn to Coco that, like, would otherwise not be interested in it. Well, that's what got pe- butts in seats. And then right. word of mouth was like, oh, Pixar is making good movies again? Yeah. People, Pixar's back from the dead for, like, the third time? Yeah. Um, yeah. And here's the thing. This movie really does need marketing. Because as we're yeah. watching it, the beginning feels so slow. And I'm like, God, why does it feel like there's so much setup? And it dawned on me it's because we haven't been taught any of the rules in advance. No. Like, you really begin to appreciate how important marketing is in terms of just, like, getting people to understand what your movie's about so they can go in with at least a little bit of knowledge where it's like, oh, yes, I know the rules of this world. I know what the premise is. Okay, can I, like, I have a confession to make, and I didn't mention this to you when we were in theaters, but, like, I'd seen so few advertisements. You know when, like, your brain... What is it What is it called when, like, your brain has, like, a bunch of disjointed ideas, so it just, like, creates an, a false narrative? Do you know what um, I'm talking about? <laughs> I don't know if there's a word for that. It sounds similar and you have, to the like, Mandela a effect, false but I don't memory. think it's Yes, yeah. I think that's what I'm describing, is the Mandela effect of, like, I have such scattered information that my brain, like, created a, like, false memory of what this movie was going to be, because I was surprised when the movie opened and the characters were human beings instead of like really? alien creatures because the ads that I saw were like okay so we're doing like a father son story but then we're on some like weird alien planet so my brain was like and the, and and also the animation style is kind of mm. dreamworksy so my brain was like oh no. 2 plus 2 is the alien movie and so when yeah. we started watching the film, I was like, oh, these are human people. They're not aliens at all. And that is how little information I received on this film before going in that I, like, didn't even know what the main characters were. Yeah, you know what it, like, my version of that is, I didn't realize this wasn't supposed to be Earth. Okay, so uh, we might as well explain the premise to you because the yes. advertisements don't. Okay, so they're on a planet <laughs> called Avalonia. The idea is, like, it is a little country surrounded on all sides by impossible mountains that you can't get over. So there is an exploring family called the Clades, led by Jaeger and his son Searcher. They are, like, sort of, sort of holy grail fountain of youth quest is to figure out a way over these mountains so, like, the empire can expand. Um, and if you think the themes are inherently uh, empirical, that's, you're already mm-hmm. on to something here. Uh Searcher, who is never really into all the dangerous adventuring stuff, um, finds a plant on their explorations, finds a plant that gives off energy, and basically is like, well, what if we come back with this? This is way better than just finding more land. And he, uh, father and son split, and 25 years later, Searcher is like the new hero who has created a brand new energy source. Basically, they turn, it becomes a steampunk land. They got airships and cool stuff. Right. It's rad. They got electricity. Um... They eventually, so the actual plot of the film, and that's all the setup that they have to explain very slowly because we have no idea what it is. Um, and the actual plot of the film is, hey, this plant you discovered is starting to act really weird. So we're going to try and find the source of it. We're going to yeah, basically it's a Moana journey to thing. The, yes, we are. Yeah, the plants are getting all like 
ashy and gross. Dead. Um, yeah. They have no moisturizer. Um, right. So they got a journey to the center of the world, and they find the titular Strange World, which is a vibrant pink and blue and crazy world with all sorts of weird goopy creatures. And this is where the aliens come in. (laughs) Yeah, this is where the aliens come in. And it turns out his dad's down there. So we have three generations of these incredible adventurers, the uh, sort of old, stubborn, exploring new lands dad, hippy-dippy plant dad, and cool young son who wants to forge his own path. Yeah, essentially we have uh, Generation X, Y, and Z. Yes. Hey, you know how we've been making a lot of movies about uh, generational trauma? What here's if we do... another one. Yeah, here's two tiers of it. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Yes. <laughs> here's um, a double dose of that. Yes. Do you want to talk about spoilers? Because I do want to get into that. Because I do think that is... I will say, if that's the main point of this film then I think it's pretty darn successful. Right. But, you know, as as you were explaining the plot just now, I am remembering, like, a couple issues that I have. Like, with... You know, we mentioned that they didn't explain enough leading up to this film, so they've got to give us a ton of exposition. But then there were still elements of this world that I that like they really took their time explaining or that they don't explain at all. Like for instance, this plant, it takes like a long time going into the film for me to have like a, a complete understanding of what this plant did for them and how they used it. Right. To the point where they don't even say what the plant is called. They, it's called Pando, which one I'm like, yeah, that's kind of a clunky name, but also Someone just randomly says it, and I'm like, oh, that's what the plants are? They kind of look like olives. So in my head, I just kept calling them olives until the movie gave a name for it. Yeah, and then, like, I was like, okay, so are they eating this thing? Do they cook with it? And it's like, no, it's their oil. It's literally (laughs) just you toss some in an engine, and it sparks up. Like it's literally And don't touch it, or you'll, like, die, by the way. Yeah, it's, like, highly volatile. And... Yeah, I think that's the problem with... It's actually... This gets to two criticisms. One, it's always the big challenge with these sort of, like, high-concept sci-fi movies with, like, a lot of world-building and stuff. You always have to be so careful about what you choose to focus on and what you don't, because if you choose the wrong things, it just makes the movie muddled and confusing or, like, feel underserved. And at times I am, like, I need to know a lot more about the things that we haven't talked about. Like, for example, Lucy Liu's character joins them on, like, the fateful, like, adventure where they find Pando in the first place. And then she's just president 25 years later. And I'm like... Right. Did she, like, make... How how did that happen? Or, like, what is she hoping to gain out of all of this? Like, just sort of different character motivations, different rules to how the world inside the world works. Things like that. Because there was a moment where I thought that her character might end up being, like, a twist villain. And just because they, her, her motivation is so unclear that I was like, okay, is she going to end up being like really selfish and like wanting some something out of this out of greed? But no, yeah. she's just along for the ride for some reason. Yeah, it's like she kind of has a villain turn, but it's more out of a well-meaning desperation as opposed yeah. to like sinister motivation. Or, exactly. Um, yeah, and it also, like, the problem is we have to take so much time to explain everything. We get less time with just the three main characters and their interactions, which... Again, I think are the parts that work. The problem is they just don't get to be a lot of the movie because we have to right. do this all in a, like crisp under two hours. 
Right. Okay, so let's do, like, let's do it how we usually do it, where we just divide this into, like, what works for us and what doesn't. What do we like? What do we don't like? Um, I'll go first. Yeah. Um, Hit me. I, I like... I like what is included in the plot. I feel like there's nothing actually that I can think of about this plot that I'm like, we're wasting time and we don't need this. I actually really enjoy it. And you know what else pisses me off about... Oh, well, maybe this can go into dislikes. Um, I'll save it for dislikes. Another like that I have um, is like, this this film is how you tastefully, tactfully introduce a gay character without like putting on a an entire performance with like big flashing arrows being like this person is gay (laughs) this is closer disney and like this ended up taking so much oxygen out of the room because like disney didn't even mention it like one of the writers (laughs) is the one who just mentioned on their twitter and everyone's like wait a minute what like, right. why isn't Disney doing what they usually do and making a huge effing deal about making this? Making rainbow, yeah. Yeah, so that, yeah, making a huge deal out of LeFou touching a man's hand and being like, oh. Ooh. Yeah. yeah, it's like, no, I think you're completely right on this. And I think that underserved helps it because, like, yeah, it's it's played, like, normally. Like, he's a teenager who has a crush on a guy, and it's played, like, very straight and normally. It doesn't feel right. like it needs to hit you over the head with it. Well, at the same time, it's like, no, this is a part of the character, and it is important. Yeah. Like, it's important that he's interested, like, he's into this guy, and that matters, because their relationship kind of underlines choices he makes later in the film. Like, they bond over this card game they play, and that card game kind of has a lot of, like, the themes and, like, mm-hmm. underlines some of the bigger ideas of the movie, and I'm like, see, this is a nice balance where his relationship is important, can be an important part of the plot, but it doesn't, you know, it's not there just to check off a box right exactly which is how Um, so many different films with with this kind of representation in it feel like check we did it in general this film does feel really good on that in terms of like it's one of the more like flirty disney movies we've had in a long time like Mm. i think searcher and his wife have like seven or eight moments where they're just like flirting or kissing or doing (laughs) something there's like they have like a whole dance sequence where they're cooking together and just seeing that level of like genuinely like happy domesticity is something we haven't seen in disney in a while yeah that's that's interesting i and you're absolutely right i can't think of another example of just like mundane yet pleasant except for an up that's the only other but that is short-lived and they make us suffer immediately (laughs) yeah um, they kick you in the balls for wanting that. Um, <laughs> well, it's also because, like, as Disney's pushed more and more away from, like, the sort of Disney princess romance thing, it's had mm-hmm. a side effect where it's like, oh, the movies feel weirdly... I'm trying to think how to word this correctly, but they feel weirdly, like, sexless. They feel very, yes. like... Like, there's no romantic attraction anywhere at all. And that's mm-hmm. not bad, but I do think there's something to be said about, like, depicting just, like, a couple who really, really love each other and right. aren't afraid to show it in just a nice, pleasant way. Even with the joke with Jaeger, because he's been gone for 25 years, he discovers his wife is remarried. And even just how the resolution to that plot, I think, is very, one, very, very funny, and very much an energy I didn't expect to see from a Disney film in a while. Right. (laughs) Um, One of my positives, I will say, it's like you said, the film is beautiful. Like, Mm. it feels like a lot of the energy in terms of world building and stuff was figuring out the rules of how everything looks, everything moves, everything feels, like the tact, 
versatility of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, they talked a lot about how this is like based off like pulp adventure novels and like you know Journey to the Center of the Earth and King Kong, and I do feel like they kind of nailed not necessarily copying those, but capturing the same like oh I've never the seen one of these of before. That. What the hell yeah. is that thing? Like on any any moment in the movie, the camera can just whip around and you'll see something where you're like, what the hell is that thing? What does that do? And then it leads into a cool action scene where you immediately find out like, oh, this is what it does. And that's why it's dangerous to us. Right. And it has that swaggery, like for the most part, I do think it succeeds in having that sort of like swaggery swashbuckling energy you need for one of those adventure movies. Mm. Yeah. I like, you know, I guess the closest film we can compare this to is up in, in that sort of, at least from the last decade trick right that's yeah um or or what i want to say is that it's comparable to up in terms of like critters (laughs) yes and fantastical type worlds even though up surprisingly is more grounded which is a funny thing to say but um that that up is more grounded (laughs) yes up always loses me with the talking dogs i know everyone loves talking dogs but the minute the talking dogs are in biplanes, I'm like, I feel like we've lost the plot a little bit here, guys. Well, see, I know, like, you've mentioned that you're not really a big up person. No. Which I think is, is valid. But um, <laughs> um, that's interesting. I, but I didn't know that the talking dogs specifically was a sore spot for you. It doesn't fit. Um, like, I like the idea that the final battle is, like, all these biplanes in an airship. Because it's like, oh, that ties in right. with, like, the, again, the swashbuckling, like, Oh, mm-hmm. the amazing Charles Lindbergh flying all the way across yeah, the world in his extraordinary flying machine. Um, right. But the, the dogs don't tie into that at all. The dogs are just there. I don't know. Maybe do robot, like the guys made a bunch of robots. I don't know. I feel like there's a better way do to they... do it. Robots? I don't know. They just did the dogs because dogs are funny. And it's funny that dogs talk, but they don't get smarter. Well, you know, it's that thing of like... Oh, mom or dad swore up and down that they were never ever going to get a dog, and then as soon as a dog is introduced, they like fall in love with it. I think that that's I think that's how it works more so than like robots. But Um, anyway, back to Strange World. Like, okay, I'm ready to dive into things I don't like. (laughs) Okay, already. (laughs) But do you have any more positives? Well, I have positives. positives. Some of them get kind of spoilery. Right, my positives are a little too spoilery. Well, this one is actually, my, my next point is split down the middle. Okay. It is both a negative and a positive. It's positive, well, the negative actually goes back to Disney's truly fumbling the ball with advertising this film. Because this, mm-hmm. this is a company that's like whole model is around licensing and creating other products off of their films. And this film much like a Star Wars film is like chock full of licensing opportunities. The cool critters, the board game. Like there's so much. They have like a Settlers of Catan in-universe board game. Yeah. That that as they were playing it, I was like, I would be all over that if if I found that in a store. Like why? Like that, that, that is my fumble that was like actively upsetting me as we were watching it. That I was like, there are so many opportunities to create fandom around this film. Right. Like this is a fumble. I mean, the most obvious comparison for this, even beyond like not even up, it's friggin' Treasure Planet and Atlantis. Mm. Which Atlantis is the one I'm always like, guys, I don't think it's as good as you think it is. Treasure Planet, I'm like, I love this, but I also understand why this was considered so uncool. It destroyed a medium. 
Um, Is it just me or do people think those are the same film? Kind of. They blur together because they're literally like two years apart. And well, a big problem for me with Atlantis is so much of the marketing was like, it's not a musical. It's not a princess movie. And I'm like, can you just be (laughs) sure? Can you like be confident in what you're making that you don't have to put down stuff other people like? And I think to the advantage of this movie is it's self-assured and like, you know what? There's room in the Disney canon for something like this. A fun, like, you know, swashbuckling adventure. And I do think, to your point, like, this is like those movies where I'm like, you will get people to love all the characters in this. Like, there are, like, seven different, like, supporting characters who get it just enough to do that, like, people will write, you know, make their own little backstories for them and will make their right. own little, like, stories with them. And, uh, like, the main, like, goopy sidekick character, Splat, who's, like, a little, like... I don't even know how to describe him. He's just like a little ball of goop. He's with a flubber. Appendages. Is he? Is he a flubber? Yeah, flubber. That's yeah. probably the easiest way to put it. And yeah, not only is he funny, like they do. There is a, there is a like a visual comedy bit centered around they're all trapped in a room and need to unlock the door. And I won't spoil how it resolves, but it's genuinely mm-hmm. one of the funniest. It's hilarious. Like, yeah, it's like a silent movie comedy bit. Like right. there's almost no dialogue in the scene, and it's hysterical. Um, right. And also, in terms of, like, all of, like, the goofy sidekick characters don't talk, he might be one of my favorite because he's also relevant to the plot. Like, he has a oh, character yeah. arc. Like, right, exactly. When we first meet him, he's trying to kill the main characters. Like, he <laughs> right. is a yeah. malicious force who then learns kindness because they show him kindness in turn. Exactly. Um, yes. Uh, I will say it does feel like... I, I Two points on, like, the bad mark. It's kind of a big point overall. Um... It feels like, for some reason, Disney brain just breaks when they have to market something that doesn't have songs. Like, for some reason, they're just like, it's so much easier if we can just put a song in the movie. Why can't we put a song in the movie? <laughs> Please. Um, mm-hmm. Even though this has a banger of an opening song. It, you're right, yeah. That works in-universe. Um, right, exactly. But also, I think some of the criticism we have about, like, how we focus, like, the focus of the movie where, like, certain energy spent, what, like, oh, could we have spent less time world-building this and focus more on the relationship between these two characters? I will say it does kind of reveal why the musical format really helps Disney, because right. if you're under 90 minutes, if you're trying to keep it between 90 minutes and two hours, songs really kind of, like, fill a lot of the sort of, like, connected mm-hmm. tissue. They really serve as, like, a, oh, we can explain a lot of stuff really fast. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, let me let me hear some of your criticisms. We haven't talked about this movie in a while, so this conversation actually feels pretty fresh for us, or at least for me. I think, I don't know if you feel the same way. I feel like this movie didn't actually know how it wanted to finish. <laughs> yeah, I do think, I think it know, knew how it wanted to finish thematically, but not, yes. couldn't quite figure out how to end it. Yeah. They knew how the story ended, but not how the actual plot ended. I think we discussed, like, plot versus story before. Right. Yes. Where I'm like, this ends in a thematically interesting place. Do we want to get into spoilers? Do you? I don't... I don't know. Because you know what? I want people to see this movie. Yeah, you know what? You're absolutely right. Because I think that needs to be kind of the point of talking about this. Yes. <laughs> What is the point of the Disney desk if we're not unburying things Disney buried? Right. All right, so I will speak in very, very broad terms then, because this is kind of my biggest positive. I like that they do succeed in the generational trauma thing, 
and actually do present three very different viewpoints with the parents or with like grandparent parent kid like I Mm -hmm. like that they kind of do this theme of colonialism and imperialism and sort of like manifest destiny but in very different ways Jaeger Clade the eldest is like a swashbuckling pirate guy like he like conquers new lands he plants flags in places that don't belong to him and calls them his own and Searcher is presented as like the hippy dippy like oh I'm interested in plants I'm in learning but as the film goes on it's like you're exploiting a natural resource from this world dad like right were we supposed to have this and are we using it responsibly and mm. that is kind of the whole point of the in-universe card game which i'm just such a geek when like storytelling in the story helps teach the theme like they're playing mm-hmm. this card game a monster shows up and both the dad or both jaeger and searcher agree like oh we have to kill this thing you know this is a danger it's a danger to the crops right. and it's a danger to us and we have to conquer get rid it. of it whereas yeah. the son points out like no that was had served the ecosystem that had a purpose and i think it's really cool that they do sort of like in terms of like modernizing a genre taking this sort of like journey journey to the savage lands journey to the strange worlds and actually mm-hmm. figuring out how to like comment on the themes and ideas of it i think that's really interesting and i think they do a really good job executing that and they do a really good job of executing like this energy of like oh, I don't want to be anything like my dad growing up. I'm going to teach my kid how to be different. I'm going to be different as a parent. And then realizing, like, you ended up in the same place anyway. Like, you can't really avoid your fate. Isn't that interesting? You know, you just highlighted something that is that truly separates this film from the other iterations of parent-child dynamics, is that actually for many of us, we grew up in dynamics of not just, like, parent-child, but, like, parent-child-parent, like, extra-parent, grandparent. Right. And there's, like, there are, like, you're not, you, you, you recognize at some point in your teen years that, like, your parent is being informed by the things they didn't like about their own childhood, but in a lot of ways they're like incorporating that stuff (laughs) they're inadvertently incorporating those things they didn't like yeah you see the reflections and you realize there's actually not that much you can do to stop it maybe yeah right and you know i yeah a lot of disney movies that lately that have been dealing with these generational things only have these one-to-one conflicts of like your mother and your daughter you know father son whatever it may be this like one-to-one situation so that's really interesting um, to actually dive deeper and like, because th- that's, that is a reality for probably most people actually to be raised in like a really in-depth where like you're raised in the middle of the mosaic and you can see exactly like the footprints going back. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But all of that is thematic. But the problem is, like you said, the plot ends on this sweet, kind moment where you're like, the the status quo of this universe has fundamentally changed. What does that mean? Is everything okay? And then they have a scene afterward that's like, yeah, every, don't worry, we we got it. Everything's good. Um, you also highlighted something that I was afraid might be a spoiler, but because you mentioned it, I'm also going to mention it mm-hmm. about their them figuring out that their source of energy is actually like toxic and is like is killing this bigger organism 
It's hurting the planet. Yeah, it's, it's hurting the planet that what they're doing, because they, like maybe this is nitpicking, but I also think it's odd. Like it's it's too glaring to ignore the idea that they just got rid of their their single source of energy. So like, shouldn't your economy fall apart? <laughs> yeah, and it's like, yeah, because it's the and they're like we all lived again. happily ever after, and I'm like no. It's the Monsters Inc. thing again, where the spider rightfully points out, like, this company was keeping the entire planet a lot. Like, what are you gonna right. do? what have you done? And there is that brief moment where it's like, Well, we're kinda fucked now, huh? And then it's like, no, no. Yes. But at least earlier in the movie they set up an alternative. So it's like, you know, they right, just have okay. to piece together. It's like, oh no, the laughing isn't bad. It's just overpowering all of our light bulbs. Because it's right. like too powerful. Yeah, um, this movie offers no such thing, and it's just like, well, we live by candlelight now for me for a bit. But I'm like, no, 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 like, your entire economy should have fallen apart. Yeah, it's been 25 years with this. This that's is like your hard, tobacco. It's hard to change the gears of a machine that's been running for 25 years. Right, um, exactly. One other nitpick, because I was talking about the stuff I like about, in terms of, like, Disney has been trying to make fetch happen with this genre for so long. Like, we're referencing Atlantis. Mm. We're referencing, um, heck, Raya kind of falls under this. This was, like, because Raya was an action movie. It didn't have songs. It just happened to have a princess, Mm -hmm. so it's kind of a tweener. I mentioned that I like how kind of flirty and, like, romantic this movie is. But at the Mm -hmm. same time, it's weirdly bloodless. And I know that sounds like a weird thing to say, but, like, for me, and, like, look... King Kong is one of my favorite just things in general. Like, anything King Kong, mm-hmm. I will watch it, even if I think it's going to be bad. And, mm-hmm. like, what Kong Skull Island did really well that kind of captured the original energy of the first movie is it is, like, a sort of episodic romp through this strange world. Uh, didn't mean to use the title there. Apologies. Wow. This odd obelisk. Um, this... Mm-hmm. L- the cuckoo loony, planet. This loony location. Um yeah. Anyway, so, like, like, so, like, in King Kong, they have this big ship with all these crewmates who are all just kind of cannon fodder, so when you reach, it's like, oh, here's the giant crab episode. Ah, the crabs are pinching us. Oh, God, they got Gary. Oh, no, we lost, like, five people to the crabs. Or, like, or in Peter Jackson's that nightmare feel scene where, like, half the crew just gets ripped apart by bugs. Like, there's, like... It's called pulp fiction. Like, it's called pulp fiction, and it's supposed to be a little pulpy. It's supposed to be a little intense, where you're like, "Oh, anything can happen." There's mm-hmm. like one scene where, right when they're getting down to the planet, they get attacked by pterodactyl things, and one guy just clearly dies. He just gets eaten, and then that doesn't happen again. And I feel like that was a missed opportunity to add stakes and like flavor and lean into the genre a bit, or alternatively, mm-hmm. make it a joke that no one's dying because they have a joke earlier right. in the movie where a stalactite almost falls on someone and then he leans out. If you want to do that, where the joke is like, man, this is weirdly a bloodless journey. Like, everything's kind of working out right. in our favor. That would have been funny. Right. That would have been a fun subversion of the genre like the rest of the movie is. That's interesting. Yeah, you know, it's... I keep going back and forth on this movie. And at the end of the day, I think... Well, my opinion has been... I think it's pretty good. A little flawed, but pretty yeah. good. But, like, the reason why I really, really wanted to make sure we got it in like we talked about it, we discussed it, is because it kind of symbolizes a lot of what we've been talking about in terms of what we want from the industry. We want more 
like we want Disney to push itself. We want Disney to try new things. And we want Disney to freaking like put things in theaters again. Right. And, you know, we talked about it too. We ended up seeing it basically the last day we could possibly see it. <laughs> right, yeah. And, you know, at least, and on one hand, I'm like, man, if all these people watch it on Disney Plus, then it proves Chepik right. But on the other hand, I'm like, no, don't punish, don't punish the writers and creators of this because, you know, they got left holding the bag. Their film deserves to be seen. I would agree. And it almost is, it saddens me that this will not get like the red carpet treatment that most Disney films get. Um, because I feel like this could have such a really strong fan base. And right. I, it's an entire, I mean, we were in the theater with one family, a single with family, two children, that was a single it. family, and us, and, and with it was two on kids. A, yeah. And oh, this was in the middle of the week, but like, right. but, but still, I don't know. Like, it just, it does kind of disappoint me and break my heart a little bit because. You know, we nitpick about this, but this is something that I feel like a lot of people would enjoy. I mean, like, we the part the point of our show is to pick things apart. That's what we do. But at the end of the day, it's like I want a lot of people to see this movie. I think this right. is, is an extremely enjoyable film that right. I think families would get a lot out of. But instead, I feel like it's just been you know relegated to being that thing on Disney Plus that you just put on in the background for your kids to sit in front of yeah. and keep them busy for a minute. That's what this is going to be. Yeah, that was Chepik's whole damn thing where he was like, oh, animation, you know, I make, I want to make movies for adults. The animation is just for the damn kids. Like a week before this came out. And it sucks that that's probably what's going to happen. That, that attitude just encapsulates how little he understands the company. Right. If he thinks that adults are not on board for everything Disney. How do you think this company He has obviously... He's obviously not been listening to our podcast. Maybe he should. Yeah, we'll call... You know what? We can do an interview. Yeah, and it's like what we were talking about last week. It's like, yeah, the classics are the classics, but, like, the things that are good and will find be perfect for certain people, those matter because those people need to find these things. And... Exactly. You know, if nothing else, like, every Disney film is special, especially the animated ones, because there are only 61 of these. Over 100 years, we only have 61. That's, like, one every two years. Like... These are events. These are special. Like, right. And even the imperfect ones deserve to be treated as special. <laughs>